We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in episode 60, the big 6-0, as Brian just said, before we jumped on here to record. It's pretty hard to believe, but uh, we all feel pretty lucky to be at still uh, be doing this. We all very much enjoy it. And as always, thanks to all of our listeners for keep coming back. Um, so welcome in episode 60. Uh, today we are going to discuss Mitch Kupchak. He was introduced as the Hornets new general manager and president of basketball operations yesterday. So we'll talk about that. Some of his quotes um, as um, Curtis Polk joined him. Uh, of course, Michael Jordan was not there, but he sent Polk to join him at the stand as he was introduced uh, to the Charlotte media. Um, we're going to talk about Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Kevin Knox, Robert Williams, and Shake Milton will be the four primary uh, draft prospects that we focus on in this episode. We might talk about a few more and get going in some different directions, but those are the four that we're going to try to really, really focus on and dig in on uh, for you guys this episode. Um, Steve Clifford and the players had some quotes today, exit interviews, whatever you want to call them. Some interesting things there we will dig into as well. Um, and wherever else the wind blows us. So that's usually how these <laughs> things go. <laughs> so on that note, Richie, you're back in school. Spring break is over. Are you hanging in there? I am. I am. This week's not too difficult. Uh, I know this is kind of crunch time for the students in terms of um, – you know, learning their last remaining new information before we start prepping for the end of grade test. And to be honest, it's like five, six, seven weeks away in terms of when they actually have to take their test. So we're doing a lot of what we call mock uh, end of grade testing. So they're sitting there testing for three hours. It's, uh, it's, it's very boring as a teacher, and I'm sure it's probably pretty painful as a student and exhausting for them to sit there and read all those passages for three hours. But it's got to get done. Uh, they got to practice their stamina. Their stamina also in teaching and students, so not not just on the basketball court. There you go. Chug to the finish. You're, like you said, uh, you're getting close. BG, what's going on in your world? Everything's good. You know, glad to have Richie back from spring break. Um, I'm sure you know it, these end of grade testing these 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 learning periods are good for you as you sober up from senior being at senior frogs the last uh, <laughs> the last week here. So good to have good good to have you back. 
No, things are good in my neck of the woods. It's it's sort of crazy the in between the final four and into draft season with the NBA playoffs going on. It's it's still a busy time. And um it's the time of the year around these parts we evaluate draft prospects. So looking forward to breaking down Kentucky basketball tape with you guys for the next six weeks. Absolutely. And just quick shout out to you and Sports Channel 8 on Saturday. I thought the radio show went great uh, for the first time. Um, you texted me, yeah, a few hiccups here and there. We're figuring it out, but appreciate it. I was like, well, I, no hiccups to me. I felt like I was listening to a show that had been going on for uh, a long time. So pretty impressive. Shout out to the Sports Channel 8 guys. And if you didn't know, um, they have a radio show now, 99.9 in the Triangle area. So Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, I guess BG. And they're on 10 a.m. to noon on Saturdays, so uh, every Saturday. So make sure you check that out. Great job to them. And then, I don't know, what am I doing, Richie? I didn't even plug <laughs> our home base in the very beginning. I'm, I'm completely losing my mind here. Um, Almighty Baller Podcast Network. We are a proud member uh, of the Almighty Baller Pod- Podcast Network, so make sure you check out almightyballer.com uh, for lots of other great content uh, across the, the vast landscape of the NBA. And, and this time of year, especially, I mean, playoffs kicking up. Um, go over there and check it out. It's great stuff. All right, guys, let's dig in here. Again, Mitch Kupchak introduced formally and officially as the general manager in Charlotte. Um, quickly, just give you the quick synopsis of his uh, of his press conference yesterday. I thought it was um, I thought it was fine. I didn't have a problem with it. There's kind of a narrative across the the fan base. I think that uh, <clears throat> I've, I've heard the word or seen the word ill ill prepared thrown out a lot you know look Mitch Kupchak's been in this job well in, in this industry for a long time he's been a GM for, for a very long time in the past um, he's worked with the Lakers he's won four championships sorry if you expected a guy that was going to come in and treat Charlotte media and, and fans <laughs> like they were basketball royalty uh, you know this guy's going to be very direct I think that if you did your homework should have known this uh, before yesterday and I just I kind of sense a guy that doesn't feel like he owes anybody anything or, or the media or the fans any huge answers or you know this transparency at this point. And not only that, but he's inheriting a situation that uh, is is troublesome in a lot of different ways. And I, I think he did shed some light on that yesterday. He said, "Well, you know what? If I was owner, I would look at this cap situation and it would be concerning to yep. me." You know, that's not quote unquote, but he yep. said something very very close to along those lines. So. He answered the questions I think he should have answered. He didn't go into detail about Kimba. He didn't go into detail about Steve Clifford. And he said everything I expected him to say. So that, you know, his press conference did not bother me at all. Uh, actually, I enjoyed and appreciated his candidness and his directness. Richie, some of your takeaways. No, exactly that. I, I went into it hearing those same reviews about being ill-prepared. And it kind of came off that way in a sense. But I think some of the, some of the questions... He, I wouldn't say play dumb, but he, he didn't want to give a full answer because, I mean, I mean, who was he to give the answer about Steve Clifford's future and Campbell Walker's future right there and then? And he, he always said, like, you know, I've, I've only been hired for 48 hours. I don't really know this team all that well. I don't know if I totally agree with that part. I, I do think he was kind of playing dumb. He just wouldn't commit to anything on camera. I didn't really see the ill-preparedness out of that. I thought it was more of just him holding back a little bit. Uh, the one quote or comment that I thought was a little bit uh, concerning 
when he was talking about his relationship with MJ and who will have the final say, he said, uh, you know, why wouldn't I seek out his opinion? You know, he is arguably the greatest player of all time. I don't see how those two go together. I mean, I think that's like saying, you know, he's the greatest player of all time, so he'll be a great coach. When typically it's the opposite. When you have these great basketball players, they don't typically translate into being great coaches. You know, you have those role players that turn into great coaches like, you know, Coach K on the college level, um, Steve Kerr, George Carl. So just because he's the greatest player of all time, I don't think you should seek out his opinion on transactions as a as a GM, especially when you have way more experience than he does. So that was the one concerning thing. But everything else, it just seemed like it was uh, very non-committal, uh, especially with those key players in Clifford and, and Kimba. Yeah, there's too much there's too much uncertainty this summer for him to come out and say anything. Hey, uh-huh. we're definitely going down this path. I mean, the draft is two and a half, two and a half months away and they've still got stuff to figure out in terms of a salary dump and maybe what they want to do with Kemba. There's just a whole lot of stuff uh, this team has going on. And it just would have been sort of insane if Mitch Kupchak had come out of the press conference yesterday and said anything grand, maybe not insane. That's probably strong, but it certainly would have been, surprising and it would have drawn a lot of headlines for really not particularly the right reasons no surprise richie great point on bringing up the stuff he talked about with mj i mean we all know the the whomever is president gm of this team they could be the czar of basketball operations doesn't matter what the title is on on stuff mj is going to have the final say and the one of his direct quotes was quote i report to michael I'm sure I'll have an opinion. I'll seek out his opinion. I know he watches games. I know he's a fan of college basketball. There may be times when he says, quote, we may not see eye to eye, and you do what you think is best. Or he might say, we don't see eye to eye. So, you know, they're going to do it Jordan's way, sort of as they have previously. And it is funny, too. I dug up after, after hearing and reading that. I dug up. Did a little, did a little, did a little journalism. Rolled up the sleeves and did a little <laughs> journalism, you two guys. But I found a quote from Rich Cho back in 2011. This is, uh, the, this is the day he was hired by Charlotte. This is the Rich Cho quote. Quote. This is him talking about Jordan. Quote. He's open to listening to new ideas. He's open to a lot of dialogue. I really, really feel like he wants to win. End quote. So I don't know. Just sort of funny to read that. The the hopeful Rich Cho seven years ago uh, going into uh, the rebuild with the Hornets. Look, again, no real surprise. MJ owns this team. He's always going to have final say until that changes. And he's controlled basketball ops for this team for over a decade now. I mean, what, since 2006, right? Like, it's been, he's had final say on on personnel stuff. And now that he's the majority owner, that's definitely not going to change. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that was no real surprise on anything from Cupjack's press conference. And look, we're going to have plenty of time to judge, you know, not what he said yesterday or what it, the, the lack of things he said on uh-huh. Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever that press conference was. But based off what they do this summer, there's going to be plenty of time to evaluate the performance of, of Mitch Cupjack going forward. And um, yeah, some of, the, some of the stuff he said about, uh, you know, rebuilding, he said, quote, I don't know the ins and outs much. I don't know if this is the right word or not to sit here and say this team, this is a team that needs to be rebuilt. I don't think that's fair. End quote. So again, yeah, no, there's just no way he was going to come out and and say, hey, we're definitely blowing it up or we're getting ready to build around Kemba or whatever. 
uh, we'll we'll have to see the moves they make the next few weeks, the next couple of months, and that will determine, um, you know, really the 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 arc of the franchise going forward. So, yeah, I don't know. Pretty much a blah press conference from from Cupcheck, to be totally honest with you. But still, I was kind of still, bored still, watching it. I was kind of bored. Yeah. Watching. Uh, I think they. I think. I think the Hornets would like you to be bored. To be. To be totally yeah. honest with you. Um, yeah. The that, one- this is. Yeah. This is not a uh, organization or franchise who's given anything yeah. out to media fans in the past. And why would they start yeah. uh, with an old timer like Cupjack coming in? It's it, not surprising. Did you guys see that? Um, he had a line in there. It made. It made small waves around. Certainly some portions of like Hornets Twitter, Hornets Internet, maybe even some smaller circles of, of NBA Twitter, NBA Internet. But did you see the his quote on, you know, analytics first instincts when he yes. was talking about yes. player judgment? So, any, yeah. any thoughts on that? At well, all? I, I do have not <clears throat> illuminating thoughts, but I think that he gave credit to how much analytics is a part of the game now and how's it, how it's completely changed the game. And he talked about, you know, the sport view cameras in every mm-hmm. single arena. And, um, you know, I, I thought he credited the analytics community uh, fairly. But he said, I'm always going to go when it comes to analytics and the guys that the analytics love over maybe a guy that my gut or my instinct tells me I'm more comfortable with. I'm always going to go with my instinct. And, you know, I... Frankly, I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't mean that that's going to lead to it doesn't mean it's going to lead to a good decision. But to know where this guy stands and where to point, um, you know, for, for the decisions that are to come uh, and his reasoning, I, I think is helpful. It, it provides a little bit of a roadmap. And look, this is the direction that all the fans knew um, the Hornets were going in. You know, Jordan did try the analytics route with Rich Cho. And I mean, I think Brian, the quote you read just a minute ago really tells a story, you know, Rich Cho saying, you know, he is open to hearing new ideas. Um, you know, some of the things that Cho said back in 2011, I think suggested like, here's a guy who, who wants to hear some new ideas. I mean, he sees Mm -hmm. the game changing around him. He's not sure how to change with it. So that's part of the reason they've hired me, you know, and now it's going back in the other direction where, where Jordan really wants to, you know, put somebody in there that he's more comfortable with, uh, put somebody in that position, a general manager that is, um, with a thought process that he kind of understands better going into it. Um, so I think that's kind of what Cupcheck represents. But, yeah, I mean, I think he did, again, I think he credited the analytics community. Yeah, I think, too, it's also important to remember that he's probably made Cupcheck, I'm speaking of, has probably made at least somewhat of a shift in just the last, at least the last three years. Because if you remember, go back to the 2015 offseason when Cupcheck's running the Lakers front office and LaMarcus Aldridge, then of the Portland Trailblazers, is an unrestricted free agent. He's taking meetings with all kinds of teams. And one of the things that made headlines after he met with the Lakers that summer, and this is when Los Angeles is sort of trying and stumbling to sign a, a high profile free agent. And the word out of his camp was their presentation was underwhelming for a variety of reasons, in part because they talk very little statistics and how their system would would benefit me and make me a, uh, a more efficient and better player. And then it was juxtaposed with the fact that after that now famous sort of failure of a meeting with the Lakers, that the Rockets came into the hotel room and gave a presentation that was just littered with numbers and 
hey, this is how we're, we're going to make you – how you're going to be best suited to play in our system and we're going to make you this, this kind of player and yada, yada, yada. Um, and to go from that moment now to what Kupchak said yesterday I think is a little bit of progress, to be totally honest with you. The fact that it – look, maybe that meeting isn't all on him back in 2015 and maybe we're not comparing apples to apples here and whatever – but I think it is a little bit important that he's gotten to the point now where he says, hey, you know, look, these things do have value. The game has changed because mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, and, I agree. Yep. And, from, and for whatever it's worth, too, hey, uh, last month in March, he spoke at the Sloan Conference at MIT. I have no idea what the contents of, of, that, uh, of that speech were, but they usually don't let cavemen grouches come back in there and talk about, you know, why it stinks that the post-up is like a lost art form now. You know what I mean? So I think maybe that does show a little bit of progress the last, I, like maybe I'm grasping for straws too, but perhaps it does show a little bit of progress in terms of even for a cat like Mitch Kupchak that's been around the NBA for 40 years, and maybe even he is sort of refining his stance um, on how to I, team build and how to how to construct a roster. Yeah, I, I agree, Brian. No, I mean, in – I probably didn't convey it well enough, but I mean, I, again, I think I heard a guy yesterday that is trying to make sure he's highlight, highlighting the the advanced analytics part of all this. And, um, you know, <clears throat> I'm sure that he's gotten a lot of advice from smart people in the league mm-hmm. that have said, look, man, change with the times or die in the past. I mean, that, that's the only option you have right now. And the Charlotte job in considering his growth and kind of where the Charlotte front office management ownership is right now is kind of a match made in heaven because this is not one of the more forward-thinking owners um, in front office situations in the league. And so here comes a guy, Mitch Kupchak, who has grown, uh, I think, as a GM in the way he thinks and the way he approaches this in scouting prospects and free agency and what have you in the draft. But, you know, also, again, here's a management team that, you know, isn't uh, isn't the Houston Rockets? So this is probably a good situation right. <laughs> when the, when you when you get these two sides in a room, they speak each other's language. I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think that I was definitely pleasantly surprised to see. I don't know if he was admitting to it or just understanding the fact that the game has changed. You see these new athletes that you know it, it's it's spacing, it's it's athletic ability. He definitely admitted to or at least understands that the game has evolved since he was GM and maybe some of the mistakes that he made can now be changed and for the better. And I guess one other thing that I noticed, we kind of talked about this like maybe two or three episodes ago, Brian, talking about best player available. Yep. He was like, you know, we have the 10th or 11th pick and at that spot. You typically always go best player available unless the positional uh, players are very, very close. And then you might go, you might lean towards a certain position. So I thought that Mm -hmm. was interesting. Uh, So that might kind of um, foreshadow what we're going to do with the 11th pick in this upcoming draft. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were going to save this to the end of the episode. Let's just go ahead and do it now because I think it's a more natural fit. It kind of, well, we've got a piece coming out, us three uh, on Queen City Hoops. A uh, little three-on-three, just kind of recapping the Hornet season um, and also taking a, a quick glance ahead at, at what the first step is. So let's try to answer that question right now, and we'll we'll kind of give away our answers a little bit, I would I would uh, presume. But mm-hmm. stay on the cup check thing. You know, he's meeting with players today. He's probably going to meet with players all day tomorrow. Um, 
it sounds like he's going to meet with Steve Clifford later in the week, according to Clifford's ex interview today. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, um, <clears throat> you know, first steps for Cup Check, Brian, what in your eyes, just name me one or two top priorities now that we know who the guy is, the season's over, we know our draft odds stand, we know a little bit more here. Um, what is what are the most important aspects to, to what Cup Jack's really got to get done here in the immediate future? Yeah, I think again, there's a lot that has to get done that has to get done this summer, obviously, including a draft pick that needs to that just straight up needs to they have to nail it. Um, and and there's a salary dump that's all that's on the horizon too. So there's again, there's a lot of stuff that that has to get done, but for me. You know, my top priority for Mitch Kupchak is in figuring out what Kemba's plan beyond 2019 is. And, um, you know, Kemba talked about it a little bit again, or he was, I should say, he was asked about it at his end of season uh, media availability today. And he was sort of has, has sort of has this same line of, of reasoning, which is that's out of my control. I'm just going to work on getting better. And, you know, the team's going to do what it what it wants to do. But again, if he gets some sort of assurance from Kemba that he Kemba does, I mean, he really is is dead set on being a Hornet, being a lifer, you know, having the the front office gig, the the jersey and the rafters, the the whatever, you know, becoming the next Del Curry, you know, whatever. If that's what he wants, who knows? Who knows what Kemba wants? But if that's the case, then I'm figuring out how we can support that. Try to try to build around Kemba into the 2019 offseason. What what kind of salary can you move around? You know, what, you'll have to start with a, a light salary dump this summer, perhaps Jeremy Lamb or whatever. But then going forward, you know, how with these contracts with 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 Dwight with Marvin, it's probably impossible to move off those. Whatever. And the other thing too is if if Kemba's unsure about that, and and look, he's earned, Kemba's earned the right to do literally whatever he wants. But then you got to start if, if he's unsure about coming back to Charlotte beyond 2019. And you remember, you can't have him leave for any for for nothing. That would be a disaster. Uh-huh. Then it's time to start. It's time to really start shopping seriously, Kemba. And he, he maybe he could even be look. The summer's a LeBron James free agency summer. It's going to be wild, just guaranteed. And you know maybe Kemba as a trade piece fits into that picture somewhere. And and I think that's something to keep an eye on. And then it depends on what can you get in return or what can you attach on the way out. But I just think you got to start with Kemba and, and really sort of sort of suss out what his long-term goals and plans are as a player. And in again if and if if it's if you do trade Kemba then all of a sudden you know you got to you know you got to figure out what you want to do with Steve Clifford then too because next year's team would not be built on win win now. I mean it would be try to build around Bacon and Monk and Ernan Gomez and seeing who whoever you get in the draft and you know trying out G League guys, trying out two-way players, 10-day contracts next season and just seeing if you could find um, any sorts of diamonds in the rough, but yeah, my first thing with Cupcheck is you, you got to figure out what Kemba's long-term plans are, and then you can sort of set the agenda from there. Yeah, he even made a mention of this in his press conference. He understands that it must be done through the draft, and it must be done through mm-hmm. trades or savvy trades, as he called them, to kind of get this team turned around. 
Well, obviously, because our, our payroll is the sixth highest heading into next season. So nothing's going to be done in free agency. Jesus. Yeah, and I think the five ahead of us are obviously playoff teams. So we definitely have to start shedding some kind of salary uh, to kind of give us a little bit more flexibility. And, you know, Brian, I think we had some varying answers in our first two. But the, this question right here about the first step for the offseason, you know, that, that I had the same exact answer. You definitely, mm-hmm. like we mentioned on the previous episode, you definitely have to see where Kimba's head's at. Uh, it would be irresponsible if you didn't and at least entertain uh, some offers for him if he's definitely or if he leans, you know, not coming back in 2019. And he's one of the few players that can actually bring some value back. So um, mm-hmm. it'd definitely be unsettling if we didn't trade him and there was somehow there's this conversation where he was a little bit shaky on his future. I would I would hate to see him in a different uniform. It would feel so weird to see him something, you know, other than the purple and teal. But I think I'd be more upset if he left in 2019 and, and we got nothing back in return. So like Brian said, the first first step is definitely having that conversation with Kimba. And maybe it doesn't matter, but you got to remember, too, 2019 All-Star Game is in Charlotte. And, you know, maybe it's not the biggest seat at the table, but marketing's got a seat at the table, too. And uh, I'd be curious to see if that you know, at all ways into the equation. It probably shouldn't, but not. maybe it does. Right. But exactly. I agree, but maybe it does too. Just something, I think something else to keep an eye on. Yeah. I, that's a great point, Brian. I mean, that's something that we need to not forget about as we continue to have these conversations into the summer, because you're right. Marketing has to see at the table. Uh, dollars matter. And 2019 all-star game is an enormous opportunity for this franchise to, to drive some revenue uh, and drive some, um, you know, business into the city. So it's interesting. I think you guys both said it perfectly. Um, you got to get inside of Kimba's head first and, and kind of see what he's thinking. Um, I think that that really depicts where the dominoes are going to start falling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really add anything to that. I will say, you know, I just <clears throat> crunching some numbers on this uh, on this cap tool that Mark Deeks has, uh, BG Houston Assist Link, mm-hmm. a few months ago. Shamsports.com is an awesome cap tool you can use. Um I hadn't crunched them in a while, but I went back and did it today. It's just a little bit of a refresher. And really, the minor cat, the minor dump that you're talking about, um, BG, that the Hornets are inevitably going to have to make. They have to move some salary um, if they plan on keeping their first-round draft pick, um, possibly bringing back Travion Graham and finding two more guys to round out this roster and get it to 14 for next year. If they were to move, let's say, Jeremy Lamb, it is 7.5 for next season um, and then not take on any salary. So really meaning that they're sending him to a team with cap space, then they can, they can wiggle their way to around 10 million from the luxury tax line. So that would mean $10 million to sign your first round draft pick mm-hmm. to get two guy, two bodies with, what would probably be the mid-level exception at that point it would be the non-taxpayer so um that's i mean that's pennies on the dollar and you can't use the whole thing because that hard caps you if you do that right uh and then also um did i mention oh and then travion graham so Mm -hmm. that those four things would have to be done with eh, right at 10 million dollars below the luxury tax and and to note too the hornets actually do have the biannual exception Mm-hmm. available this year so they did not use that last year so that's that's another <clears throat> team building tool they can use but even with a contract like jeremy lamb going out the door uh, my point is they they're still very 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 strapped 
in terms of ways to build out this roster and get to the minimum of 14 guys by next year. So it's it's really going to be tough sledding, and that's why, you know, I think you should you should just should not count out the possibility of Kimball Walker being traded. Um, you know, I had a good conversation with with Greg Petrus, um, ex uh, Queen City Hoops contributor. He actually had a great tweet today about how bad the Hornets were in clutch time these past two seasons. But you know, we were talking about <clears throat> what's going to happen. What does he anticipate in the off season? He mentioned, you know, he really thinks that. Kimba being traded is you know, that ship sailed, um, and just because his value has been driven down. But you know, when you look at it from the opposite angle of even if they do dump a little bit of salary like Lamb, they just can't move the needle enough to mm-hmm. build this team at all. And so, how much better can you make this roster before next season when Kimba Walker is an expiring contract? And gosh, if you take the risk of letting this guy stay and then just trying to talk him into a team-friendly deal. Um, and stay away from the Mega Max going into the 1920 season, and he ends up walking. That I mean, that's the doomsday scenario. Yeah, that that if that happens, I said this on on episode 59. But that if that happens, I mean, it's a it's a failure, complete organizational top to bottom failure, and you should basically just blow the whole thing up. Like you can't. That's the last thing you can have happen in, in Charlotte's situation. A small market. You can't have Kemba walk for for literally nothing. That would be. Um, Again, it would be a nightmare for that to happen. Yeah, and and look, the last time to note, the last time the Hornets hired Jordan hired a new general manager, Rich Cho. Um, you know, look, Cho came in and brought a whole new approach and the analytics and blah blah blah. We've already talked about all of this, but the first thing he did was blow it up. He traded Stephen Jackson, which was the final piece to that team. Um, they ch- traded Gerald Wallace the, the year before, and actually Rich Cho helped facilitate that trade in Portland. And then he <laughs> took the job in Charlotte, and he traded Steven Jackson. And what came after that was one of the worst teams in NBA history. So the last time the Hornets went through this GM change, it was a complete teardown. That doesn't mean it's going to be a complete teardown this time, but it, it's worth noting getting inside of MJ's head of what he remembers from his last experience going through a, a change like this. And I think the Hornets are very much at a pivot point like they were then right now. Um, so, you know, those that last hire in that situation has – there's some synonym with that in this to me. And it doesn't mean the Hornets have to blow it up. They can certainly just let – be patient, let some of these big contracts fall off the books um, and try to convince Kimba to stay along for the long haul. But that – there's a lot of risk that you inherit mm-hmm. with that direction. So it, it will be interesting. What's good, y'all? This is your boy, Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. All right, so again, we're going to kind of fumble around to a a few different guys that probably haven't talked about a lot, Robert Williams and Shake Milton, uh, especially in this episode. But let's start in the SEC here, focus on some Kentucky prospects. There's always a few every single year. Um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, we touched on him a little bit in episode 59. Uh, I've I've really watched a lot of film on him here in these past few days. He's he's a fascinating... um, prospect because you watch him move around on the floor 
you know, you see his vision offensively. You you see what he was able to do in a Kentucky system running the show. Um, And, Brian, you mentioned it. He kind of played point guard out of necessity. Mm -hmm. I thought he did a nice job, had some really good numbers in an offense that was completely strapped for space. I mean, that might have been – yeah an offense that was suffocating on itself more than any other in power five basketball. It, it was certainly up there. I mean, they had no options other than to play bully ball. So what Gilgis Alexander was able to do is pretty impressive. I mean, he's got great length. He's six, six. We'll see what his wingspan comes out at, but looks like it's going to be at least six, nine. You can tell he's long. Um, definitely an above average defender. Looking at some of the stats today, mm-hmm. I was impressed and surprised. 2.8% steal rate, eighth in the SEC. And this guy guards without fouling as good as anybody. 1.7 fouls called per 40 on him. That's third in the SEC. Uh, and, and it makes sense. I mean, you look at his physical profile, and you're like, all right, yeah, yeah, this guy should be able to slide his feet, you know, play with his length, play with his mm-hmm. arms. Um, and he was able to do that. And, and he was a good distributor this season. I mean, again, this is impressive for a team that had so few options, I think, offensively outside of trying to play bully ball. 30.4 assist rate. That was six in the SEC. Um, thought that was good. And he could play in the pick and roll. I mean, he likes to go left. Um, he has some – he really uses his long strides well, and he has some vision. His IQ offensively, to me, like there's a lot to build from there when I watch him play. Biggest question for – just for the sake of simplicity, uh, SGA is can he be a shooter? You know, mm-hmm. he, he only took 57 – um, three-point shots this year. You know, he shot it at a 40.40.5% rate, which is, which is good, but it's just such a small sample size that we're not sure. And that shot, I don't want to say it looks broken, but it, he looks very uncomfortable when he's shooting mm-hmm. the ball. It has an itch to it that's very clear. Um, he, he's not – I can't find many great examples of him catching, stepping into a shot um, with confidence. It's more out of uh, necessity than it is, you know, him really hunting a shot. Um, so that's the biggest question, but he did shoot 82.2% from the free throw line, which is a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, so you feel like you have something to work with there. Um, Brian, what, what do you see? What really stands out to you with Gilgis Alexander? Yeah, I think the handle is so important, right? And I think that's going to sort of, that's going to, that's going to really have a, it's going to really determine his role in the NBA, whether he's a primary creator or a secondary creator. And whether he can sort of refine and, and tighten up that handle is just a huge deal. He, he's got some moves with the basketball. It's just he, you, you sort of said this with, uh, with regard to Malik Monk before, too. But just sort of long, sort of long and high with it. Doesn't keep it super tight. And, you know, when he can't get by guys on the first step, uh, it's, it's got an ability to get to get to get picked. Look, I like combo guards, and depending on how who they pair with, that that can that can be a strength, too. Um, I think he was asked to do a lot this season. He and Knox basically had to to bail this offense out most nights. Like he said, they they relied on bully ball. But the thing I like, the one of the things that is nice about Alexander. I mean, we talk about this all the time with Kemba. This is a pick and roll league. Um, right now, Gilgis Alexander probably doesn't have the the shooting off the dribble to. To, to credibly come in and be a pick-and-rolled assassin right from the get-go. But, Ran, this is, these are possessions where he either passed or shot the ball out of the pick-and-roll this season. And on those past possessions, it's he passed it to a teammate that shot the ball or turned it over or drew a shooting foul. But 500 of those possessions, 
Um, Kentucky scored right under one point per possession on those plays. Uh, that's top 40 amongst Division One players with at least 300 combined pick-and-roll possessions. Uh, it's pretty good. Annie shot 52% out of the pick-and-roll, 53% effective shooting. So, again, a lot of long twos. Likes to go left, as you said, Spencer, and come back and finish right. As far as his shooting goes, I mean, that's sort of, again, I think the, the handle with him is the biggest question mark. And then the next thing is the sh- is the shot, right? And the free throw numbers does are encouraging, especially because he shot over 170 uh-huh. free throws this year, which is a healthy number. Not a ton of catch and shoot possessions, but the numbers are pretty good too. Um, again, 18 of 39 on catch and shoots this season, 1.35 points per possession, an effective shooting rate of 68% on, on a tiny sample size. So I wouldn't take too much off of that. I think volume is, is pretty important in determining how someone projects as a shooter and stuff too. But at least that's not um, – they aren't bad at least. So maybe, maybe there is something to, to build on. But like you said, Spencer, he's not real comfortable uh, stepping into shots and, and raising. Um, but, yeah, so anyways, I, he's, there's clearly a lot to like. He's skilled. I don't know, man. You wish he could learn how to, how to become a little more dynamic catch-and-shoot guy's cousin – Nikhil Alexander Walker plays at Virginia Tech, so up in your neck of the woods, Spencer, and he is a pretty good long long range bomber for Virginia Tech. But yeah, Shea Alexander not quite there as a shooter yet. I mean, he's very similar to Zaire Smith in a sense with his three point shot in terms of actually having a higher three point percentage but a low rate. So you don't know how that's going to translate on the next level. Sure, he's shooting above forty percent from behind the arc, but he doesn't attempt a lot. But the good news about SGA, in comparison to Zaire Smith, uh, SGA's free throw percentage, which is typically, typically uh, a pretty good translator of how good of a shooter he could be from behind the arc, is is higher than Smith. So that that's a little bit more promising. Um, does this guy remind you of all of, la- of the last year prospect uh, of Nilakina in terms of being a defensive-minded point guard, lanky, long, long? Yeah. He also has some turnover issues like Nilakina had coming into it. Um, you know, just like a six six lanky guy that plays point guard. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just too simplistic of a of a comparison. Yeah, no. I mean, no. I can see it. Um, yeah, a little bit. I, to me, Neil Akina's shot looked a little bit more ready, which is not turned. I haven't looked at his numbers in a while, but it doesn't look like it's really turned out to be the case. But it's not been good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't think so. Yeah, but Gilgis Alexander, man, he he does not look comfortable shooting the ball to me at all. Uh, it's a very weird motion. Um, you know, I, I think there's things there to work with, but you can just tell that shooting the ball has never been off the dribble or catching and shooting. It has never been a part of his game that dating back to high school. I mean, this is, this is a guy who's been on the ball a lot. He's a slasher. Um, you know, he's a good athlete. He's a good finisher at the rim. You know, he's, he, he has a lot of, he can probe the defense again. He has a second, third, fourth dribble with some good, lengthy um footwork and he can find players and and create for his teammates but uh this is not a guy that's been leaned on to uh you know just go get buckets and i mean brian great point i mean he's gonna have to learn to shoot off the dribble if he's Mm -hmm. gonna be a ball dominant or at least you know a second banana in the nba i I think gilgis alexander would be a good fit next to malik monk you know i think he might be able to guard twos um maybe even threes if you're seeing small ball lineups. I mean, you think this is a guy who's going to improve his body from a strength standpoint. He's already got, you know, good length, good height. Um, so, you know, 
you consider that duo maybe two years down the road, you know, him mm-hmm. and Monk playing on the wing together in the second unit or, you know, even next year, you know, if, if the Hornets make some crazy trades here. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, it's all possible. But, yeah, I, I mean, I like his game. I like his potential. But I think I said this on fifty episode 59. I just I, I can't get all the way on the hype train with him. And I'm mm-hmm. a little bit surprised that most consider him a lottery pick because his ceiling doesn't seem ridiculously high to me. You know, mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong. He's just, he's got to develop a shot, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the hype train is strong. I feel like it, 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 it came on strong towards the end of SEC play and, and in the tournament play as well. So I just feel like he's kind of come out of nowhere and people are all hopping on this little bandwagon here. Part of yeah. that is, part of that is big blue nation too, man. UK yeah. fans <laughs> hype out here on the internet. Um, we'll say too. Richie, thank you for bringing him up, man. It feels good draft season to be talking about our boy Frankie Smokes again. It feels real. <laughs> it's like it's like we're back home, you guys. It really is like summer camp all over again here. Actually, Spencer, you brought the, you brought up this comparison last week with with SGA that I like a little bit too. The Delon Wright in in Toronto, and he is sort of a combo guard. I mean, Van Vliet has sort of usurped him as the the primary ball handler off the bench, and they played Delon plenty at the wing as like a small ball three or at, a lot of times at, at, at the two as well. Um, maybe like a DeJounte Murray, but Murray's such a special athlete in terms of his length and defensive ability that I, it's probably too much to, to lump anybody into the same category with him. It's maybe a bit trite just because they're tall, long point guards or whatever. But those are the two comparisons. If you want to go that route that I, that I see a little bit, I love the DeLon Wright comparison with him though, that you made. Yeah, you know, it's just from a, a physical profile standpoint, I think guys that are good on the ball at their size, I mean, I think it made some sense. We'll, we'll see. I mean, DeLon Wright learned how to shoot the ball, you know. And, this uh, year. That that happened this yeah, year. Yeah, this year. Yeah, having late. So, I mean, and that's certainly something that could, that could happen with SGA. You know, it, it could take mm-hmm. him two or three years. I mean, I would expect it to at least take two or three years for him to get comfortable shooting right. the ball in the NBA. And I think that if you're going to draft him, that's something you just might as well uh, be content with. So, but we'll see. Uh, I'll be very, very, very interested to see where his stock goes from here and what teams think about him when they get him in the gym. I gotta think that uh, for pre-draft workouts, that is, I just I gotta think the teams are going to probably like him more than throw cold on him because uh, it's just that you see a six-six guy with a ridiculously long wingspan. We'll see what that measures at. That's like 180 pounds, and you're like, oh, just wait until we get this guy in, into you know our weight program. Imagine yeah. this guy, 205 pounds, he's going to be a problem, and that may that very well may be right. But like, here's the here's the prototypical example of that wing or big, you know, with the with the length, right, with the length, with the wingspan, with all these you know keywords mm-hmm. that draft prospects <laughs> need to to fit under. Here's here comes that wing that everybody drools over. They get him in their gym. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. All right, Kevin Knox, his teammate, um, very, very different player, you know, 6'9", wing. He's the only guy on this Kentucky team that was a real threat at all times to shoot you out of a game from behind the arc. And he took a ton of them this year, uh, 167 total. He only shot it at a 34% clip. But I just don't hold that against Knox. And, and here's why, because – I mean, again, he was the only guy that I feel like teams really needed to scout mm-hmm. carefully, chasing him around floppy action. Kentucky loved to run this baseline action for Knox. They almost did it. <laughs> it was just ridiculous how much they tried to run this play for him. 
So the way that he was scouted and how he was defended and every single down screen he came off of, you know, he was had a guy getting ready to check him right in the chest, helping whoever was chasing him around. And I just can't imagine how difficult it could have been. It had to have been for Knox to consistently get clean looks. And I mean, I think actually shooting 34% with, with probably how he was scouted and defended this pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't do it. He doesn't do much else really really well mm. like there's nothing that's off the page now he's got to hit shots to make an impact at least as of right now got to hit shots to make an impact you know yeah yeah i mean that that he feels really very much like a one-trick pony in that way he, he's got heavy feet to me slow feet almost on on defense when i watch him move around kentucky played some zones so you get some spotty film here but when you watch him in man-to-man situations he kind of reminds me of nick batum a little bit um just doesn't really get in the stance um lazy trying to get around uh ball screens um i mean we'll see i I think he's got more i don't i don't want to say i think he's got more athletic ability than nick batum and lateral quickness ability i'm not sure but he reminds me a lot of batum in that way and 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 that bothers me a little bit i mean steve clifford literally just said today we don't have guys who can guard their position in his exit interview and i don't think you bring in knox expecting to get a guy who's going to be able to guard his position mm-hmm. in the NBA. But again, he's 6'9", he can shoot it, he's good in transition. There's a lot to like. I, I just, I, I don't know, I'm not quite sure how he's going to impact the game other than shooting the basketball in the NBA. Um, thoughts on Knox? Yeah, he seems to have a, a fair amount of mixed reviews, right? Uh, it seems like one of the more higher higher variance draft guys, simply in terms of uh, opinion, not in, in terms of really maybe how he how he projects. But yeah, Spencer, he said he got up a ton of three pointers this year, four and a half per game, over eight per one hundred possessions. Not great off the catch, but decent. Thirty five percent off the catch, fifty percent effective shooting. Um, that's, that's not terrible. I mean, it's not great, but like you said, teams could probably load up and, and game plan for them. And I said this a few weeks ago when we were, when we were also discussing Knox, but I feel like a lot of those, a lot of that, that down screening baseline action for Knox, it, it, the end result is him curling into the lane and, and taking a floater or one dribble pull up there. And in the NBA, those screens will just get set further away from the, from the basket and he'll be coming off shooting three balls and therefore that effective rate, you know, could maybe, could maybe look a little bit, a little bit better. I do think he is, sort of, he takes a lot of tough shots, but I, I don't think, I think he's got a little bit of touch and feel to, to his game. They're just, they're tough shots to make, especially for a guy as young as Kevin Knox too. I think he's still sort of, um, still sort of growing into to being in kind of a, a tall, long wing, and yeah, you just the the release shooting motion's pretty good, high release, um, shoots it on the way up. But you know he's not Clay Thompson. He's not. He doesn't get this thing off uh, in the blink of an eye or anything like that. And um, shot a decent clip coming off screens, forty five percent, fifty percent effective shooting. I, I think he's pretty good at moving without the basketball. And you see Kentucky sending a lot of these same actions for him this year that they did for. Malik Monk last year, but I, I think he's got like a decent, decent IQ and he knows how to, how to use screens. And like, I think that's something he could, uh, I think he could develop into, uh, better. I think he could get a lot better at that. And, um, you know, not a super explosive player, but a good, good in transition. That's where he gets a lot of his dunks from shot 61% effective shooting in transition, 
does a really good job of holding the ball high away from the defenders and keeping it away from from blocks and stuff like that too. But in terms of individual scoring, not a great ISO player, high turnover rate, um, does get to the line a little bit as well. If you were to watch a game on him, I would say pull up the West Virginia game if you, if you want to get some, some feel-goods about Kevin Knox. 34 points on 17 field goal attempts. Uh, five of eight from 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 distance, and uh, he hit what proved to be the game winning three in that too. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, I, I I'm intrigued by Knox a little bit. It seems like he's it's likely that he'll be there at you know ten or eleven or eleven I should say. And um, you know he and SGA we should also mention both those guys did sign with agents this week too. So they're they are in the they're in the draft pool. Yeah, I think that. Of guys that have really been linked to the lottery <clears throat> a lot for the last few months, Knox has been there. Um, to me, I think I'm ready to just about say that he's he's got more bust potential, like out of the league, out of the league in like two or three, four years, mm-hmm. or at least after his rookie contract, than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's not a lot of things that he does well. And I don't know if it was Kupchak or Clifford who said this uh, in their press conferences recently, but basically saying if you can't defend your position, you got to do something well. And typically that has to be shooting in today's game. I can't I don't know. Yeah. If that, I don't know if that was in a press conference recently with one of those two. But he, that, that like you guys said, that's got to be his strength, because right now there's not a lot of them. I'm sure he's got a lot of potential and room to grow because he is one of the younger Young, youngest players in this draft, but uh, he doesn't intrigue me at all. Uh, I, I, like you said, he's very polarizing, Brian, and I'm I'm on the low end with him. He, I just I can't get myself to like this guy. That's yeah. a good that's a good point, Richie. He is. I mean, he is literally of this crop of lottery guys that we're talking about outside of Jaron Jackson. I mean, he he is the youngest. So, yeah. I mean, th- he's got that going for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think he's got a little bit. I mean, at this point, Otto Porter's grown into a pretty damn good NBA player. He does a lot, but um, Otto Porter also figured out how to shoot an NBA three pointer, and that sort of revolutionized his career and allowed him to float as a you know a badass small forward or a pretty good uh, stretch four and some small lineups too. And again, I just think a lot of it with Kevin Knox will come down to that three pointer. You know, can he can he can he hit it in the NBA? Because if he can. I think he'll get a he'll get a pass on some of his other deficiencies. If he can't, then it, it might the whole thing might just crumble. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> he's a he's a good straight line sprinter. I mean, that's why he's a good transition player, and he, he's good mm-hmm. at running the wing. He's good at get, getting out in front of the play. Um, so you, you see some of the athleticism there. But again, man, just watch film on him and just just tell me if you don't see like those slow feet and just a real lack of lateral quickness. Um, no, totally, totally. Yeah, and that's what really that's what really concerns me the most in the end is I just I don't know you can shake that kind of stuff. Maybe you know maybe you get him on you know some kind of um, conditioning plan and, and cardio plan that really really um, accelerates his athleticism in that way. But I, I don't know. At 19 years old, I mean, I, I don't know how much more of that you can improve. What right. were you gonna say, Brian? Oh, just you know, most of his dunks don't cut because I think because he sort of is a little shaky on that quick twitch. Uh, explosiveness, most of his dunks don't come in the half court, you know? Like, he doesn't get all the way to the rim a lot, smoke guys off the dribble and, and get to the get to the rack and slam it. If he dunks it, it's usually, you know, he, he's, he, you know, someone hit him on it, you know, he leaked out Corey Brewer style and someone hit him up on a pass and he used his length to, to get to the rim. It's not, it, it's not this incredible athleticism where he 
finishes in traffic around two guys or whatever. Yeah, and that's not a um, it's not a trait you want to have as a rookie in the NBA, right? Like at Kentucky, it's fine to let PJ Washington and you know Diallo and uh, and all these and Wine and Gabriel and these guys go clean up the glass while you mm-hmm. run to the three point line and, and yep. go get a good shot. But in the NBA, man, like you got to guard your position. Number one, number two, you got to get on the defensive glass. I mean, every coach is going to pre- preach this stuff. So if he's already trying to cheat out in front of the play so he can get an open shot because he's not able to free himself on the other end due to his lack of athleticism, that that's going to be a problem. So I, th- there are things that really worry me about Knox. I, to me, I think he's just stay away. But, uh, but I, you know, again, great length, young. It could go either way here. Mm-hmm. Richie, you brought up this guy uh, earlier, Shake Milton. Yeah. Um, really interesting prospect. I had not looked a lot um, at him. Uh, this is Richie's annual SMU prospect. I don't yes. know what they're paying him. <laughs> yes. But every, <laughs> for every year. Richie's, Richie's got that old oil money coming in from from a and m pr and boosters and stuff like that while he pimps out the draft prospects for the other uh, mustangs yeah. here you would think yeah, i would like, know more about these sec pr- uh, prospects like like these kentucky boys <laughs> but i always go west of the mississippi uh so i, I kind of had that go. direction but really what attracted me to him was actually his name shake milton um and i think that cup check might shake it up a little bit this offseason so that name Ew. just kind of stuck out to me six six out of smu uh, he's ha- he has a wingspan uh, of seven feet, so that that's great. Uh, he missed, I would say, like the first ten or so games of of this season, his junior year. But there's a lot to like about this guy. I know that he's probably projected probably like 15 and down, uh, but you just never know how high people can climb in the draft, and we and we saw a lot of it last year as well. Offensively, well, first off, he projects to be a a three and D type of player with. A little bit more heavier emphasis on the three. I wouldn't say he's a bad defender. Mm-hmm. He, he's average, I would say. But I think with his with his measurables, uh, he can get better, and and he should be better if he has the right mindset. But definitely a three and D type of player. Uh, his shooting ability uh, is is really good. Uh, he's a career shooter of above forty percent uh, from behind the arc, and he does attempt a quite you know quite a bit of threes. So it's not like one of these players like Zaire Smith that only takes one a game. Uh, that, that's definitely not him. Uh, his shot mechanics are definitely good. They're smooth. Uh, he does have this thing where he kind of like spreads his legs out when he shoots, but I guess he's comfortable doing that. You know, everyone has their little thing when they shoot, but that's the one thing that I notice. you know, his upper body's good. He kind of like, but he spreads his legs out when he shoots. Um, he is six, six, but SMU used him as a ball handler a lot, put the ball in his hands a ton. So basically when you see these draft uh, websites, it might list him as a point guard. But I think that he can play multiple positions. And playing with the ball in his hands, he's gotten very comfortable over the past couple of seasons at SMU, beating his man off the dribble. Uh, his, his floater game is really good. Uh, so if he could just beat his man off the dribble, he can use his length to kind of get over those those bigger guys in the, in the floater game. And he will have plenty of opportunities to beat his man off the dribble because he's such a good three-point shooter. Uh, just looking at some of his stats... For his career, 43% from behind the arc. Uh, his catch-and-shoot numbers are great. 66% effective field goal percentage, uh, and he scores 1.33 points per session on catch-and-shoots. That's the 91st percentile in, in college basketball. Um, so on offense, you can definitely see this guy translating to the NBA in terms of how the game is going. Uh, he's just a little bit older. I think he's a, he's a junior, so that would be a downside. I know that we always talk about people coming out. Is that a downside to being a little bit older? But I, I am intrigued by this guy because of his athletic ability, 
or I guess more of his measurables, but also his ability to shoot the ball. So, and his name. Do you guys have any thoughts on on Milton at all, or have you guys seen enough yeah, of him yeah. or no? Well, no. I mean, I I have <laughs> seen a little bit since you um, brought his name up right before we start recording and. <laughs> done a little digging as we're recording but what i like about him most which is pretty obvious by just like looking at numbers and a little bit of film here is he affects just about every single aspect of the game and i think you you did a pretty good job of um describing that there i mean smu like to put the ball in his hands he's mm-hmm. a really good three-point shooter 43 and a half percent um he's a good defensive player i mean he's in the top 20 of the american conference in steal rate and block rate you know he, he rebounds the basketball at a decent rate especially on the defensive glass and he can find his teammates. I mean, he can distribute too. Yes. So, like, here's a guy who can. He just he's a he seems to be like a winning style of player. Mm-hmm. Reminds me a little bit of like a Devon Reed out of Miami. Um, Ooh, I like Devon Reed. Yeah, he started I mean, he started yeah. for the Suns last night in one of yeah. their uh, crappy late season lineups. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he scored uh, this season. He scored 16 or 17 in Charlotte uh, during the game. I, I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly. That's right. Where, but he had a good game in Charlotte. Um, it was in March. It was like early March, I think. You know, similar uh, similar athletes, similar bodies. Um, I actually think that uh, Shake Milton has a little bit more defensive potential. I mean, seven foot wingspan. If yeah. that ends up being accurate, is going to be really important for him. Uh, you know, the thing with Milton is, you know, he's twenty one and a half years old, so he's going to have to come in and be ready to probably um, fight for minutes right away. Um, and it, you know, I, I would like to fit in Charlotte. I think that that's what they need right now, right? Like they need three and D wings. And if, if an added bonus is a guy who can has a little off the dribble juice, then that's awesome. Um, so, you know, obviously one of the things that's driving down Shake's <laughs> Milton, I, I just feel weird calling it Shake, um, dri- driving down Milton's, um, stock? you know, stock is probably his age. But, mm-hmm. uh, but look, I, I mean, what is there not to like about this guy as a player, you know? Yeah. Nah, it, it's he's super intriguing. And like you said, Spencer, if that seven foot wingspan, if it's close to that, then he, he's he's a hell of a prospect, although he's still probably just closer to the back end of the first round fringe first round type. But who doesn't love a guy who cares about age when you're a six, six guard that gets to the line a ton, five free throws per game and shoots an insanely high three point number, mm-hmm. um, you know, 40 percent three point shooter, a lot to like. And uh, it doesn't create a ton off the dribble in terms of space for himself. But, I mean, if you if he was playing around with Kemba or Malik Monk, not like he's going to be in the Hornets range in the first round exactly. But you could see there, there being a little bit of a fit. And, um, and some of these shots, too, man, his range is pretty insane, too. Like, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't get cheat himself, you know. I mean, he'll he can hit from NBA range above the break too. So uh, I I am intrigued with um, with our boy Shake. Um, I don't think he's going to be in the Hornets range, but you never know how th- how things maybe turn out in terms of addition, you know draft picks moving around or guys stock jumping up crazy or whatever. So yeah, Shake Milton is an interesting player uh, down in Texas. Kupchak did say that he was, he was um, intrigued, not intrigued, but like he was considering, you know, moving draft picks. I remember him mentioning that in his, in his press conference. So you never know what that means and moving up, moving yeah. back. I didn't know exactly what he meant by that, but he definitely made a mention of trading draft picks. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, uh, I think it's something that we should definitely discuss. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here at the end of the episode. I think there's some scenarios to watch um, with possibly moving this pick. Um, all right, Robert Williams was the last prospect we wanted to uh, 
to look at <clears throat> this. Williams is like your he's your prototype five for the modern day NBA in terms of like pick and roll mm-hmm. um, heavy center who can destroy the rim is a good cool. rebounder is a good shot blocker like the guy that runs a straight line from the, the top of the arc to the rim uh, and then pretty much patrols patrols the paint the rim on both ends um, you know he's not an ISO dumping into me I'm going to go to work kind of player well you know Texas A&M he was in spots but that's obviously not the type of guy he's going to be in the NBA. A great athlete, shot blocker, again, rim runner. I think you got to like this guy. Is a good fit, and he's you know it's funny because he's right there in like the Clippers range in the late lottery. They actually have two picks there, I think. And it, I mean, like, what a prototypical um, you know replacement for DeAndre Jordan, mm-hmm. a Texas A&M uh, replacing a Texas A&M guy. So yeah, but 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 a very similar player. Um, just a crazy, crazy good athlete. I mean, you can remember the highlight he had against Carolina and what a game he had against Carolina in Charlotte round of 32. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will remember that game. So a lot of you guys have probably seen Robert Williams, but, uh, 6'10", great athlete. Again, good screener, good roller, destroyer of rims and good shot blocker. I mean, that's really him, uh, in a quick nutshell. Yeah, I think it, it's big for him that he added. I think he added a little bit of strength, and that he is such a good rim protector and 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 a, a diver on offense. That yeah, I think he can play five in the NBA. When maybe a year ago, at this time when he was sort of on the fence between coming out or or staying in at Texas A&M for another year, and he got stronger. And I think now you know it's clear that he's a five in the NBA. And if he can't play the five, then he ain't gonna be in the NBA. Um, he has no semblance of a jump shot. And he's a horrible free throw shooter. Shot 47% from the line um, this season. And he's career only a 54% free throw shooter. Doesn't even draw a lot of fouls, but also doesn't use a ton of possession. So draw, drew 3.4 fouls per 40 minutes this year. Attempted only three and a half free throws per 40 minutes. So, I mean, you know, he, and when he does get to the line, he makes, he misses half of them. But, man, he's a freak athlete. The windmill he threw down against UNC was ferocious. Hit a, a block in that game. I don't even remember who it was on. Someone from UNC that was just nasty. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not crazy about this guy. Uh, the Hornets already are loaded up on centers um, with White. You know, for right now, since he's on the roster, we're going to factor him into this equation. But even if you consider Dwight out of the picture – They've still got Cody Zeller and Willie or, or Billy Hernan Gomez still signed up for multiple seasons beyond the end of this one, too. So I'm not crazy about Williams because he doesn't have a jump shot and the team is loaded up on fives already. But boy, there's a lot. I mean, there aren't too many of those guys that are his size that can fly through the air like that, too. So you, you can see why he may have some utility as a starting five in the NBA one day. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably a little higher on him than you are. I think it's just like as good of an athlete as he is at 6'10", if you can convince this guy that the, the way to play the game is to protect the rim on, on the defensive mm-hmm. end on then the offensive end, roll, draw the defensive gravity and catch lobs when you have a chance and, and work the offensive glass. Like if you can get him to concentrate on those things, I just, again, how good of an athlete he is, I think he's got a chance. But um, But yeah, I mean, I can understand certainly your reasoning and being a little bit lukewarm um, on what do you, you think, do. Yeah. Do you think he can be John Collins? Do you think yeah, he has absolutely. that? Do you, I mean, do you I think, think he, he has that, in that, that in his game? 
You know what uh, I mean? Well, he's pro- yeah, he's probably not as... The shooting's got to be more of a concern, right? I mean, I know that John yeah, Collins isn't, I, like, tearing it up, but I don't he, know. He figured it out. He well, figured it out. He later. started. He was working on it a little bit this year, though, way more than he ever did at, at you know, at Wake Forest. That's for sure. I, I almost see him as more of... I, I just If he can buy into playing, like, a Clint Capella kind of role, yeah. then, I, then I think he can be a, a useful player in the NBA. And, and obviously, this is all going to be, you know, determined on fit and system and, and these kind of things, but... Um, he's not the same kind of athlete or or player for that matter that Capella is, but that's where his his attributes and his and what he has in terms of, in terms of his skill set right now. That's where it will you know be used best. Um, mm-hmm. But you know again at Texas A and M, you know he was given the opportunity to kind of catch the ball around the basket and go to work some and just try to overpower the defense. It's not it's going to be completely different in the NBA. So you know. The learning curve might be steep for him, and and that would certainly worry me a little bit. Twenty half year, twenty and a half years old, though. You know, I feel like I feel like if he gets in the right system, there's certainly a chance. And I think the Clippers would be a great system for him. I mean, yeah. or you know, we'll see who wins between you know Denver and Minnesota tonight. I mean, either one of <laughs> either one of those situations is great. Yeah. You know, back into the lottery, and so I feel like where you're taking him. He's got a chance, and you just don't find many sixteen guys that can get up like that. So he, uh, he was he was super efficient around the basket on non post up attempts. So putbacks, pick and rolls. He shot seventy four percent on non post up possessions at the hoop this year, which is pretty pretty damn good. And and I should say too, I know I was just knocking him for for being a center, and and we, the Hornets already have a few of those, but. Like Richie touched on earlier in this episode, Kupchak said, hey, I'm going to draft the best player available. And we've talked about this before, too. The Hornets, you know, if they determine internally that he's the best player to take available, then get him. Who cares that, you know, I can see there would be some questions thrown around that you would, why would you take another five? But the team needs talent. And if you think he's the best guy, then then take him and, and figure it out from there, in my opinion. Yeah, and like to me, if a guy like Montrez Harrell can can make it and play some center at six yeah. eight. You know, I don't see why Robert Williams can't come in um, mm-hmm. and play center in the league and, and be a successful, just big, dominant, uh, shot blocking six uh, ten athlete. So, mm. you know, we'll see. But it, again, with these kind of guys that are coming a little raw, going to have a little bit of a learning curve, so a little bit more of a learning curve associated with their uh, potential. You know, it, again, it's all about system. It's all about who you get drafted by. He goes to Phoenix, forget it. <laughs> you know, yeah. if he goes to Denver or he goes to Minnesota or he goes to LA. Okay, now there might be a chance. So um, certainly we'll see. Richie, anything you want to add on, on Robert? No, I've already pledged my allegiance to SMU, so I don't talk about any Texas <laughs> team. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, Fair Richie's enough. Got, yeah. Richie's got a non-compete. You know, yeah, I sorry. mean those the those the the ponies at SMU they make him sign a very strict contract uh, when when discussing draft prospects. So <laughs> you know, I'm sure when, when we you know Richie's fortunate that Mo Bamba is not going to fall in the draft range of the Hornets because uh, you know he'd be on a he'd have to be silence himself on uh, Mo Bamba in Texas too. All right, real quickly, because um, I know we, we've run over time. What a shocker. We've run over our time that we said we were going to beginning of the episode. Let's talk Cliff exit interviews, Clifford exit interviews real quickly here. Um, to me, and then you guys tell me if there was another quote or something of note you took from it today, but you know, calling out the defense. I think that was the obvious um, thing that Cliff mentioned today. Pretty much said that we got a bunch of guys who cannot guard their position 
and, and look, he said this team had passion and fire, you know, in past years. And we didn't have that this year. Um, and we didn't have that fight. I'm, I'm not getting the quote exactly correct. But those were really two quotes of note. What do you take from those, Brian? Yeah, I, that, you know, Clifford has a way of going through the media to do this stuff sometimes. And I think it was pretty clear at, at points of the year that he was not stoked about the effort. This was not... It was after the, the the West Coast swing in Denver and Portland and Utah where he he sort of called not didn't call out any specific names but basically said hey look guys got to do better in terms of one on one assignment defense there are probably some you know I think if you guys if if we were given a couple of guesses we could probably figure out who he's talking about here um, so no real surprise and um, you know it. I don't think that was this team's biggest problem. Uh, I think that the biggest issue was a lack of shooting and offensive talent. But hey, man, Cliff Cliff Cliff's built his career on on driving the driving the ship through the defense, and I'm not surprised it was on his mind on the way out the door. Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't think this was the biggest issue either on the defensive end. I'm sure there's players on this team that just can't defend their position, like he says. But I wonder how much of that is effort versus just their lack of ability. I don't know if I could ever see Frank Kaminsky being a good defender, regardless of how much effort he puts into it. I, I, maybe Batum could get a little bit better. You would think that he would be a better defender. Maybe Lamb should be a better defender. But some of these players, you just look at him just like, I don't care how much effort this guy puts in. I'm not sure how much of an impact he could make on defense. So Yeah, Frank, Frank Kaminsky said when talking to the media today that uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it said he needs to work on his defense. Yeah, no, duh, dude. Like You really need to work on your defense. You're terrible defensively on that end of the court. It's the worst kept secret in the entire basketball and the entire NBA that you are free money every time you check in the game for teams to run all their actions right at. Um, yeah, and, and you said the exact same thing at the end of last year. So I yeah, appreciate yep. the, uh, yeah. the memorial. Uh, Frank Kaminsky <laughs> needs to work on his defense uh, quote to reassure the fan base that you, there's still some kind of hope. So thanks, Frank. Yeah, yeah just a, a few other things of note here, and, and then we got to get out of here. I, Travion did say, you know, look, we'll see what happens, but I would love to be back in Charlotte. Um, I'm paraphrasing there, but that was nice to see. I would love to see that guy back in a Hornets jersey next season. And then it sounds like Clifford will meet with Mitch Kupchak later in the week. I think I mentioned that earlier in the episode. Look, Kupchak and Clifford, in their few quotes that they've had here in these past few days, have both, to me, uh, downplayed their relationship in Los Angeles when Clifford was an assistant there and Kupchak was the GM. Uh, You know, I'm not reading too much into that, but it is uh, noteworthy. So we'll see what happens um, with that and how that goes. And what reports start coming out about the future of Kimball Walker and where he's at. And if Clifford will be with this team moving on to the future, this stuff's going to happen fast. I would, I would presume. So stay tuned. Um, and, and lastly, again, uh, check out queencityhoops.com. Brian, Richie, and I, uh, I've got a piece recapping this past season, uh, and then looking forward. So we're tackling three questions. I think you guys will enjoy that about 2,500 words. So get your coffee ready and yeah. prop your feet up tomorrow morning <laughs> and give it a read. So, yeah, let me oh, just throw sorry. in let me throw in two things real quickly. One last thing that Clifford said, just to end end on a little bit of a positive note here. Clifford said Malik Monk's play from beginning of the season to the end of it is quote night and day. Um, said Malik is an exceptionally bright player, and Monk mentioned today just how much he learned from playing alongside with Kemba this season. I mean, that could be just sort of generic end of season, you know, uh, vague fodder for the for the press and fans to gobble up. But if there's anything to that, that's kind of cool. Two other things real quickly. Cody Zeller 
uh, apparently had an MRI recently and should be ready in three to four weeks and is expects to be a full go for summer workouts for the Hornets. Um, I mean, man, I hope so. This was sort of a lost season for Cody in, in year one of the extension play just 33 games. He's super important to this team. And, you know, if Kemba's going to stick around, then you got to have Cody's got to be a part of the picture. They're a, they're a tandem. Um, unless Zeller, for some reason, is part of his salary dump this summer as well. One last thing, Aaron Gomez, I think the Hornets said he plans to play in summer league um, this summer as well in Vegas. You guys, we talked about this with sometime within the last few weeks that that should be a priority for the Hornets, figuring out more ways for playing time, chemistry to develop between Malik Monk. We saw some promising things at the end of the year with he and Aaron Gomez and Dwayne Bacon. It'd be fun to see those three guys um, play together this summer on, on Summer League. I think that would be really valuable. And um, I'm glad that Aaron Gomez, who's heading into his third season after this one wraps, will still be trying to play Summer League basketball. I think that's important. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, good mentions, BG, there. Glad you got those in. Um, all right. Awesome stuff. All right. For episode 60, uh, again, big number for us. Um, we're super excited and grateful for all the listeners. So keep coming back. Um, tell us what we can do better. Tell us what you guys would want to hear more uh, as we move forward here. Do not forget... We are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Check out almightyballer.com for a lot of other great NBA content. And then don't forget about our boys over at Sports Channel 8, sportschannel8.com, and their radio show, Saturday mornings, 99.9 in the Triangle area, uh, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. So until next time, enjoy the episode. All right, and go draft season. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.